Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Desi, let's start out the show by thanking our lovely Patreon contributors for this week. They donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. I just uploaded a new episode on Patreon oh, today. good. And we'll be recording another one tonight. Cool. It's a good one. So this week we had So Devilish, Charlotte, Catherine, Amanda, Emma, Emily, Alejandra, Jenna, Victoria, Michelle... Ethan, Amanda, Cass, Mary, Jane, Jen, and Gail. Thanks, guys. And we got a really nice email from Ethan, or he sent us a Patreon message. Message That made my day. It was so cute. It was really sweet. Thanks, Ethan. Yeah, thank you. Happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, happy birthday. Uh, Okay, what are we talking about this week? Okay, so this week I had to make a super fuck quick turnaround on this episode because the book I ordered for the episode I was planning on doing didn't come in time. Oh. So I had to like write this basically in a day and a half or so. Like I read a lot of stuff last night and then I wrote it today. I hope it's not the one I'm going to do this week. You know what? (laughs) I doubt it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I doubt it, but it would be really weird. Okay, what is it? What is it? Um, so I still wanted to do an older Hollywood story and I remembered the mysterious death of Ted Healy. Is that the one you're doing? No. Okay. You looked panicked for a second. I did because someone on our page recommended a really good one that I was like, oh, I really want to do that story. So, um, this story has connections to other crazy Hollywood stories and people. So I'm pretty excited for it. Some of the blogs I used in addition to old newspapers, um, were called Playground to the Stars, Hollywood Essays, and one called the LA Daily Mirror, which is an amazing blog. I've actually, I think, used that before. It's run by an ex-LA Times archivist, I think, and his name is Larry Har... Har I'm sorry, Harmish. Uh, it's a really good blog because he he like has so many old newspaper... Like He literally goes through and pieces stories together using old newspapers, like the LA Examiner, and some of the stuff is from the LA Examiner that That's he's That's what I do. Yeah, so he like literally, he had this really insane thread that I want to read later, but I just didn't have time about Wikipedia and how it gets stories wrong and then it perpetuates like inaccurate. Yeah, and it was like a really interesting, but it was so in depth. I was like, I can't read this right now. (laughs) I'm like stressed out, but it seemed really interesting. So go check that out. It's a really cool blog. And if you like LA, Hollywood history, you'll like this blog um, for sure. Okay, so... Ted Healy was born Ernest Lee Nash on October 1st, 1896 in Kaufman, Texas. His family, including his younger sister, Marcia, moved to New York in 1908. Now, although he was initially planning on pursuing a life as a businessman, uh, that siren song of the stage finally pulled him in and he just had to 
had to sort of be a performer. In 1912, at the age of 15, he joined a vaudeville act called Annette Kellerman's Diving Girls that had a few boys in it as well. And he did this with his friend Moses Horowitz, who would later go on to become Mo Howard of the Three Stooges. Oh my God. So the act went kaput after some stage accident happened, and I couldn't find out what exactly that was, but Diving Girls could be pretty uh, awful. Sounds like someone dove off of a rafter on the stage and yeah who the hell knows or a light fixture enough to end the show or end the the act it's got to be a bad accident yeah so at this point Ernest takes the stage name Ted Healy and develops his solo act which was a huge hit in the 1920s he was the highest paid performer in vaudeville making nine thousand dollars a week which is like a lot I would love to make that much money (laughs) that's like I think there's something else I'll reference later, his salary there. I think it was like 1800 a week, and that was like $28,000 a week in oh our money. Yeah, so this is a ton of money. Um, he eventually adds performers to his stage show and makes it more of a review, no longer a solo thing, including his new wife, Betty Brown, and his German shepherd dog. The dog was in the play. It was in the review, yeah. I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> Jumping through a hoop. <laughs> And it's like the hoop is paper and he bursts through. I have no idea. Oh, yeah. That seems like a dog trick. Yeah, that seems doggy. So the review is called Syncopated Toes. And in 1923, there was an opening for performers again. He called, um, or no, he didn't call. His old pal, Mo Howard, applies to join the act. Healy cast his old friend as a stooge. A stooge is like... It's like the member of the audience who's picked at random, but is actually part of the show. A plant. Yeah, like a plant, but I guess they called it stooge in those days. So he's like a he's like a clueless guy, like yeah. basically. So the routine basically he calls this stooge, he comes up on stage, antics happen, and it, it ends with Healy losing his trousers. That was like their big act. That's the that highest was, comedy in nineteen twelve. I think losing your trousers just on its face sounds funny. <laughs> Because <laughs> you picture them really big, held, held up by they're, suspenders. They're trousers. They're trousers. Now, eventually, Moe's brother, Shemp, joins the act as a heckler. In 1924, Larry Fine comes on, and in 1928, um, this group of comics and Ted Healy's show uh, were sort of the permanent fixture. He had people coming in, in and out, but these three guys eventually become this thing with Ted Healy. Mo and Ted start developing comedy bits that would be the sort of early prototype of the Three Stooges, that slapstick kind of whatever comedy that they're known for. Do you like the Three Stooges, Rachel? <laughs> sure. They're comedy legends. I mean, I, yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, it's a very classic thing that women don't like it and men do. Really? Yeah. It is? Yes. It's like a guy's type sense of humor, I but think. But I do like stupid humor. I mean, I've definitely grew up watch like seeing those. Yeah, I thought uh, they were funny. I'm, I'm not like a, a Three Stooges stan, but I appreciate <laughs> what they did in comedy. I'm loving thinking of what a Three Stooges stan is. Like oh, you boy. picture some. I don't know if I want some meet nerdy that guy. comedy. Maybe a nine year old who's like, <laughs> I love comedy. Like just getting into it. Uh, okay. Um, So it was Ted who basically brings the Three Stooges to Hollywood. He gets a starring role in a movie called Soup to Nuts. uh, And he kind of brings the trio out to star in this movie with him because they're his sidekicks. 
Ted eventually gets a contract with MGM and goes to Hollywood permanently. Like he leaves um, vaudeville behind forever at that point. In March of 1934, um, Fine and the Howards permanently and amicably amicably part ways with Ted Healy. So they're separate now, but there's no like hard feelings at all. And they began working at Columbia Studios as the Three Stooges. And that's where their, their careers basically take off. Now, Ted, despite not being as well known today as the Three Stooges, he is a very successful comedy actor. He's working consistently in movies as well. He just isn't as famous as the Three Stooges, but he was a highly paid um, kind of sidekick comedy character actor. Right. Now, despite his success, he is always broke. He's kind of a larger than life figure, the kind that will always pay for the dinner tab, even though he doesn't have the money for it. Like that kind of showboaty type of person. Yeah. Uh, He drinks a lot. He gambles a lot. He fights a lot. And despite being married, he fucks a lot of women or at least is always trying to. (laughs) Now, Ted Healy is not that attractive, but he's very charismatic and funny, supposedly. So, yes, women have been fucking ugly, funny men who treat them like shit since the beginning of time, Rachel. (laughs) Now, you have to see. We'll post a picture of him, obviously, but like. It's like one of the classic things where you see someone back from those days where you're like, they're 40 and they look like a a 70 today. Right. Because he's just, he looks so much older. They all look older. Like he dies at the age of 41 and you you cannot believe this guy. I mean, it's, it's wild anyway. So his first marriage to Betty Brown ends in 1932 and she's actually sued by an heiress named Mary Brown Warbutin, Warbutin for alienation of affection, accusing Mary of luring her husband away with sex and gifts. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh, uh, She was asking for a quarter of a million dollars, which was nothing to Mary, who was super fucking rich, like a billionaire back in those days, kind of rich. Now, Mary Warbutin would eventually die in 1937 from um, an overdose, which people couldn't tell was deliberate or accidental. The things she OD'd on was described as reducing pills, like diet pills. But later reports would speculate that it was um, more likely cocaine or heroin, which could still have been That used makes for you skinny. It. Yeah. So the women in Healy's life, no surprise, are also a little kooky and troubled, uh, as well as, I'm mean, sorry, including Betty Brown, his ex, who would eventually like change her name to Betty Nash and got involved in a head-on collision that killed a guy, like some kind of weird car accident. So the women in his life are kind of like also dealing with shit. In December 27th of 1935, uh, another one of his girlfriends, a woman named Marion Bonnell, files arson charges against him. According to the LA Examiner at the time, Ted Healy, and this is from the newspaper, bald film comedian... <laughs> Why they would describe him that way? Uh, had, How embarrassing! Has been given an extra day to work up an alibi to prove his absence from a jovial Christmas morning party at which he allegedly burned up the furniture of a girlfriend's apartment. Healy's attorney Jerry Geisler told Deputy District Attorney George Johnson he could prove Healy wasn't there. Johnson agreed to delay filing an arson complaint against the actor. Miss Marianne Bonnell made the complaint before Captain Paul Wolf of the fire department, charging Healy forced his way into her apartment after she locked the door, piled her clothes on the kitchen stove, and set fire to them. And then her whole apartment basically oh, got torched. Oh, boy. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. He had a well-known violent side. In addition to the arson, he got into a lot of fights, which was probably best illustrated at a Hollywood party he went to around the same time as the arson. Uh, he evidently got so sick of hearing Barbara Stanwyck's husband, a man named Frank Fay, boast about his smile that Healy punched him in the face, knocking several of his teeth out. Look, no, let's hear him out. Let's hear him out. There's something about, I don't condone violence, but there's something about like, I get getting irritated by someone. I would probably resort to like crushing them emotionally somehow. (laughs) <laughs> or dunking on them in a way that was brutal. Or talking shit about them behind their back. Yeah. I mean, that is that is kind of a funny move. I've heard this guy talk about how great of a smile he has yeah, for the last time. Yeah, and he won't time. shut the fuck up. Now, I will say, eventually this guy, Frank Faye, does go on to be a pallbearer at his Ted's f- funeral. So I guess they kind of made they up. They made up. He was like, <laughs> look, that was a pretty... I get the feeling Hollywood was just a lot of drunken shit was going down at these parties. Uh, Yeah. So in 1936, Ted meets a 21-year-old UCLA co-ed named Betty Hickman. He loves Betty's and proposes to her immediately, and she accepts. This is like, what is that new show, Love is Blind? I haven't watched it yet, but I think people get married really quickly. Is that the genesis of it? Uh, There's a lot of reality shows where that's the... The yeah, case. is that the latest one though? Love That's is blind, the newest right? one that I look. I don't have time, and I'm gonna get. There's on- something I feel like I should watch it, but I just don't have time either. I just like I can't. I can't devote. To I watch and I have my own trash. I'm look. I'm probably gonna watch it this week, but I'm just letting. <laughs> I'm just warning everyone. I I might not be able to get into it. Right. I know. So they're married. They basically fly off to Yuma, Arizona, and get married on May fifteenth, nineteen thirty six. And by October, Hickman is filing for divorce. Now, she's granted a divorce, divorce which is eventually nullified after they decide to reconcile. Betty eventually gets pregnant and gives birth to their son, John Jacob, on December 17, 1937. So... According to Mo Howard, they're still friends. Ted is thrilled about becoming a father. According to Howard, he was nuts about kids. He used to visit our homes and envied the fact that we were all married and had children. Healy always loved kids and often gave Christmas parties for underprivileged kids and spent hundreds of dollars on toys at these at these events that he would kind of throw together. Now, despite his happiness about becoming a dad, His sister, Marcia, and his manager, a man named James Marcus, were monitoring him closely, making sure he kept out of trouble and making sure he wasn't drinking. They even hired Jaime Marks, a bodyguard who had been hired to protect Healy from himself, basically, and to keep keep on track, you know, keep him from drinking and getting into trouble. He, as I've sort of hinted at, is a lifelong alcoholic, basically. He has a severe drinking pot problem, but he had been striving to stay sober towards the end of his wife's pregnancy. Um, another friend of his named Sammy Lewis said, during the past six months, meaning before he died, I saw Ted very frequently. He never drank anything stronger than coffee at those times and seemed in the best health of his life. White knuckling it. Yeah. Just white knuckling yeah. it. <laughs> now, his career at this point is still moving along. As I I mentioned earlier, he's earning about 17 
uh, 50 per week, like 1,750 per week, which in today's dollars, or actually this was from 2013, this article is $28,000 a week. Holy shit. So that's a lot of money. (laughs) A week. He has um, several film roles in the can, including one called Hollywood Hotel. He's scheduled to shoot several other movies. So he's like not out of work. Um, His son, while his son is being bored, I'm sorry, while his son is being born, he is out with his ex-wife, the first Betty. Oh, no. Now, this is a quote from her. She's also basically patting his back for not drinking. I saw Ted Saturday night in the presence of other people. He told me that he had never felt better in his life that he had been taking care of himself and had not been drinking for at least six months. We were in the cafe discussing a business matter and Ted drank coffee and declared he'd never drink again as he did once upon a time, as he did. (laughs) He's already waffling on not drinking. I'll never drink like I did. (laughs) I'm going to control it this time. Yeah, so I feel like he's in a like... Like, I guess you would probably know more than me, like taking a few months off, proving that you don't need it and then going back into it slowly, right? This is the classic alcoholic move is you're like, oh, see, I was able to put together six months. I didn't have a problem at all. Right. Then you go back to it. And the next thing you know, you're face down, ass up in a weird motel somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Sorry. Now, so a few days after the birth, a few days after the birth of his son, Ted decides he's going to go out and celebrate becoming a new dad by getting wasted. (laughs) See? What did I say? At around 2.15 a.m. on December 21st, he arrives at the Trocadero Club in West Hollywood, drunk as hell and ready to fight. So what happened that night is shrouded in mystery, but shortly after the events of that evening, Ted Healy would be dead. So... The MGM spokesman initially announces that his cause of death is a heart attack, but we all know studios had a real interest in keeping scandals out of the paper and had the power to do it. Making the heart attack announcement seem even more unlikely was the presence of recent wounds on his face. He had a cut over his right eye and a black eye on the other side, which gave the appearance that Ted had had the shit beat out of him. So adding to the speculation... There were people whispering about an altercation involving Ted at the Trocadero that night. One of Healy's friends, a writer named Henry Taylor, told Mo Howard about an argument between Healy and three men whom he identified as college-aged fellows. And according to Henry, the younger men allegedly knocked Healy to the ground and kicked him in the head, ribs, and abdomen. Sometime after he was at the Trocadero, Ted took a cab to the Plaza Hotel in Hollywood. So a wrestler named Man Mountain Dean was reportedly standing in front of the hotel when Healy comes out of the cab completely bleeding like all over his face. By the way, I looked up this guy, Man Mountain Dean. (laughs) He's totally like that type of vintage wrestler where they're kind of just like fat and flabby. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they have the big black underwear on. I love those guys. And he's like bald. They're just like brawny. Like, do you know what I mean? There's like, they're not necessarily athletic. They're chonky boys. They're chonky boys. So he has that exact look. Like it was so uh, like not a surprise. Uh, Anyway, I tried to, there was no juicy information about him at all. I tried to find some. So he tells Man Mountain Dean an incoherent story about being attacked at the Trocadero, but he doesn't identify his assailant. He doesn't really give any other details. Dean contacts a physician named Sidney Weinberg who kind of like treats Healy at the hotel. I read one report 
that he kind of got stitched up, like the cut on top of his eye got stitched up. Um, But by this point, another story starts emerging from the rumor mill. Uh, The three assailants were not college boys, but rather actor Wallace Beery, producer Albert R. Broccoli, and Broccoli's cousin, agent producer Pat DeChico. Wait, his name's Broccoli? Yes. Believe me, I have tried. I have honestly been in a panic about having to say his name. (laughs) Because I'm like... How am I supposed to say broccoli? It reminded me of like like that Trump goon whose name was like Matthew Calamari or something. <laughs> I'm just like, you can't take someone serious with the name broccoli. Here's like another funny side fact. This could be accurate, but I feel like it's not. Like one of the blogs I was on, like a lesser blog that I didn't really even use, they described him as being, as his dad owning a broccoli farm. I'm sorry. Wait. And I was like, there's no way that's fucking true no. that you happen to own a broccoli farm and your, and your last broccoli. name is broccoli. No. I was, so I didn't use that information, but I felt like telling, because once I saw that, I was like, I'm not using this block. There's something <laughs> off here. He owns a broccoli farm. That is straight up made up. There's just that no way. Your name's already broccoli. Like, come on. So, uh, yeah. So some background on these guys. Now, Albert Cubby Broccoli, <laughs> that's his nickname, by his the way. His Cubby Broccoli. Mm-hmm. It kind of sounds like an heirloom variety of broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you actually might recognize the name, not just because of the vegetable. <laughs> broccoli, at some point in the early 50s, moves to England and heads up a team with Harry Saltzman, who is a Canadian guy who had purchased the rights to the James Bond character. They pair the pair up to form the company that creates all of the classic James Bond. So he's the producer behind the James Bond movies. Broccoli, Broccoli, Goldfinger, From Russia to Love, From Russia with Love, uh, Doctor No, like all the early classics. What about the Broccoli Wad? Do you know about the Broccoli Wad? <laughs> no. Okay. So Big Pussy, the actor uh, who plays Big Pussy, he. I almost added this for our funny infomercial Patreon oh. episode. He has a product called the Broccoli Wad, and it's basically just like a rubber band that he sells that you put your money in, and it looks like you're a gangster. Oh. It's called the Broccoli Wad. That's really weird. I guess because it looks like those rubber bands that come on broccoli. Yeah. Why would anyone buy that? He was selling them. (laughs) A rubber band? Uh, So at the time of this incident at the Trocadero, he's 29. He's there partying with his cousin, Pascal Pat DeChico, who is in quotes, a Hollywood agent with no clients. But he has a really close relationship to Lucky Luciano and is widely considered around town as um, being a pimp and a bootlegger. That was from one of the articles, which kind of sounds fun. Now, DeChico was repeatedly in the news for altercations as well, and he is most notably uh, sort of famous for rumors that he was involved in the mysterious 1935 death of his former wife, actress Thelma Todd, who died just a few months after the divorce in the garage of another actress named Jewel Carmen. Now, Thelma will eventually get her own episode, Yes, but I'm just going to give a smidge here. So if you don't know, Thelma's death was officially um, declared to be the result of carbon monoxide poisoning, but there was enough concerns to warrant a grand jury investigation, particularly um, because Todd and DeChico had argued at the Trocadero the night before her death. DeChico was cleared of any involvement, but her death is definitely one of Hollywood's biggest mysteries for sure, and there's a lot going on in that case. Now, after this, DeChico marries 17-year-old heiress Gloria Vanderbilt, 
who at the time had a fortune of $4.5 million, which in today's money must be like, what, a a kajillion? (laughs) Like that's so much money. Now their marriage, like his one to Todd is another relationship from fucking hell. Like it's, he's an abusive fucking bastard. Right. For sure. In fact, I think he even caused her to have to get a, um, Todd, Thelma Todd had to get an appendectomy after like a beating from him. Uh, yeah. So they had like a very volatile relationship. Now, Gloria speaks often about this abuse at the hands of, um, Pat, I guess her first husband. Chicadero. DeChico. Chicadero. Chicadero. Whatever. (laughs) Um, she also says that he regularly beat her. According to her, he would take my head and bang it against the wall, give me black eyes. And he also called her Fatso, Fatsy Rue. Jesus. So um, another interesting connection. After Thelma Todd divorces to Chico, she had a brief affair with Ted Healy, which may possibly have been something that added fuel to the altercation that is alleged to have gone down that night. Now, at this point right now, this is just a rumor mill swirling that that these three men were at the Trocadero. Well, they were at the Trocadero. Trocadero. That's not un, that's not in contention. They were, but yes. that these were the three men that allegedly beat up. Right. As opposed to college age men. Yes. Okay. So but now, nobody but the rumor is still that he was beat up. It's still a rumor that he was beat up. Right. By, because there's cover ups going on. Right. Okay. Okay. So the third guy who is at the Trocadero that night with the other two is the actor Wallace Beery, who's not a big name today, but back then he was a very big star, known for his villainous roles. Um, and he was just one of MGM's biggest character actors. He won an Oscar for his role in a movie called The Champ, which starred um, co-starred child actor Jackie Cooper. Um, just an interesting fact that I read about. He actually tied for the Best Actor Oscar that year with actor Frederick March for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That's got to suck if you tie. Here's what even sucks more. He actually had one lo- one vote less than Frederick March, but back then, if it was close enough, oh. they would declare a tie. Oh, that's got to suck. And now it has to have the exact number. I think it was like within three, they declared a tie. Um, but now it has to be the exact, like actually a tie. So yeah. So just a little side note. Now, despite the bond that Cooper had on screen with Beery, he describes Beery later in his life. And he probably will be an episode as well because he has a very fucked up story. Um, he said Barry's a fucking piece of shit, mean son of a bitch. And that's pretty much how he's widely thought of throughout Hollywood. Another story I read about him was that he would always request a dollar more, even if salary, so he could always be the highest paid actor in Hollywood at some point. So even with a co-star who was equally his as famous, he would always want like $1 more, which is like kind of a petty bitch move. Um, he's described as sadistic and awful to his ex-wife, Gloria Swanson. And that, that's a relationship that has been widely written about. Now, the presence of Wallace Beery is what will eventually bring in another name we're all familiar with, Eddie Mannix, MGM's fixer, and another future show subject. Absolutely. He's like in every, he's in a few cases. I've almost done an episode of Eddie Mannix like 12 times, but every time I start writing it, I'm like, I, can't, I don't have time for this this week. Yeah, it's, it's so too, in- he's literally involved in every 
major case. It's so Including the Patricia Douglas, Girl 27. Yes. And obviously another case people ask us to do, and we will, the George Reeves Superman. Maybe we'll have to tag team an episode together. Maybe he's in a month. Yeah. A month of Eddie Mannix. Bullshit. Because there's a ton of books and, uh, yeah. So he's involved in this as well. Now, so eventually shit's being whispered about in a front page LA Examiner article on December 23rd, 1937. So this is two days after his death under the headline, wealthy sportsman confesses fight with Ted Healy. The wealthy sportsman in question is broccoli, by the way, and I have no idea what his sportsman is. He kind of didn't have a job at that point. So I think people speculated what he was. Do you know how like people who have no jobs, but are in famous circles, they always have these weird careers. Right, right. <laughs> entrepreneur. It's always, or like, it's always entrepreneur. But they're just like hanger-ons, basically, at this yeah, point. Yeah, they just have a lot of Instagram followers. Yeah. So uh, this is a quote from Broccoli. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was standing in the Trocadero when Healy entered. I knew he had become a father a few days before, so I asked him to, to have a drink. He seemed quite unsteady, turned to an attendant and asked, who is this fellow? I laughed that off and extended my congratulations. He staggered toward me and struck me on the nose. My nose began to bleed. The next thing I knew, he hit me in the mouth and followed this with a blow to the chin that almost floored me. I shoved him away because I didn't want to hurt him, and attendants took Healy to an ante room. Later, the attendants came back and told me Healy wanted to see me. I went in and we shook hands. He got into a taxi cab and that was the last I saw of him. Now, obviously, this account from Broccoli puts him in a very good light. Right. And, you know, there's obvious reasons why he would act like that was the last he saw and everything was A-OK at the end. Now... This statement by Broccoli, by the way, comes after the official autopsy report that basically declares Ted dying of natural causes. His sister, Marsha, has this to say about Broccoli's account when he gave this uh, interview to the newspaper. Ted's sister. Yes. It looks to me that Mr. Broccoli is trying to glorify himself as he- at Healy's expense. Why didn't he come forward and tell about his reported scuffle with Healy before the autopsy was held? Instead, he kept silent until the autopsy disclosed the death was due to natural causes and that the alleged scuffle didn't have anything to do with his fatal illness. So in this book about Eddie Mannix called The Fixers, Eddie Mannix, Howard Strickling, and the MGM Publicity Machine by E.J. Fleming... A peer of Healy's named Sammy Wolf gives his eyewitness testimony about what he saw that night. According to him, and this is, quote, Wallace Beery was sitting at the bar with Pat Jachico. Beery was making a lot of noise. Ted told Beery to be quiet. Beery said, I won't be quiet, and they went back and forth. Then Beery got up and punched Ted right in the side of the head, right there in the bar. So Ted says, let's go outside. I'll take care of both of you. I guess Beery and DeChico went out into the parking lot and there was already another guy out there. He jumped Ted and then the other two guys jumped in and beat him up. Now, that guy was supposedly Broccoli who had snuck outside and when Healy walked through the door, he jumped him while the other two kind of attacked uh, Ted. They left him, according to this guy, they left him unconscious, sprawled in a pool of blood, and returned to the bar loudly talking about their victory. And then presumably Ted got into a cab at some point and yes. went to the plaza. So, yeah. So ha- Harnish, the guy who runs the LA, the LA Mirror blog that I talked about, he provides kind of like a, a timeline based on 
all these news accounts. This story has like a million variations and versions and, and the news at the time all have different, like even some of the dates are wrong. Like some have him going to this thing happening on the 19th. Some have it the 21st. Um, That's the thing I've noticed. Cause I, this is a, obviously this is what I do have done for a lot of stories is literally piecing together a crime story based on reading old newspapers. Right. And it is, it can be really tricky because something I've noticed about reading these newspapers from the 40s and before, even the 50s, there are a lot of dates like that are conflicting or yeah. sort of like dates that are off by one day. Uh, people's names are misspelled. So all often when I'm searching through the newspaper archives, have to search for various spellings of yeah. a name just to get information about it. Right. So here's what this guy kind of lays out. Um, December 19th, Healy is sick all day and spend most of the day at bed, according to his manager, Jack Marcus, who was with him all day. At some point, the manager leaves, telling the bodyguard I mentioned, Jaime Marks, not to let Ted out of his sight. At some point, though, Ted does get out of the bodyguard's sight. He fucking leaves his house to go out drinking. Um, people speculate that his first stop was a place called the Seven Seas Cafe, which is on Hollywood Boulevard back then. And he basically goes there and borrows $50 to, and this is in quotes, pay for some fun. So he gets wasted at the Seven Seas Cafe first um, after he escapes the bodyguard who's kind of monitoring him. Around 11 p.m., he arrives at the Trocadero shit-faced. He's so shit-faced that the management refuses to serve him alcohol, but I guess he's hanging out, <laughs> causing trouble still. So... The broccoli story is the other thing we have, that they had this fight. They make up in the ante room. I don't know what an ante room is. Is that like a back poker room or something? I have no idea. It's spelled A-N-T-E. I, I have no idea. So some private room where they kind of make up. That's one version. Another version is after the broccoli incident, Healy goes to a table at which two men and two women are seated. One of the men objected to Healy's remarks because he was drunk. He's just saying bullshit and fucking pissing people off. An attendant who was working at the club observes the disturbance and led, leads Healy out of the club. One of the men at the table follows. He was gone for a few minutes, then returns and tells his com companions that he took a poke at Healy and knocked him down, and he got back up smiling, and we shook hands and said he was sorry for what happened and asked if we were still friends. I told him, sure. Now, this individual is described... Um, in a Los Angeles Examiner article as a well-known Hollywood figure. This individual also says, I didn't hurt him, just knocked him down, but another fellow is beating him up, giving a wail of a beating. Now, these two men are not identified in this Examiner article, but they're thought to be Beery and DeChico, like in this uh, other version. And that, like I said earlier, Broccoli joins them to jump them, but these two guys do the beating, Beery and DeChico. Right. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's what um Marsha Healy, his sister says what occurs after this beating. At 3 a.m., he is at this Hollywood Plaza Hotel at a place called It Cafe that's owned by Clara Bow. I know about It Cafe. Yeah, so 
like I said before, he's just basically taking taxis around. To get more fucked up. Yeah. I mentioned earlier that he saw a doctor at the Hollywood Plaza Hotel. Um, He says on the phone to his sister that he has two stitches in his head. So the sister confirms that he's been stitched up. Yes. Now she telephones the manager, Jack Marcus, and tells him to go get, get Ted. Jack goes to get him and takes him back to Ted's home. On Monday after this incident, um, the manager is still there with Healy, who is at this point violently ill, racked by convulsions and frequently delirious moaning and talking about this fight. Uh, the Los Angeles Examiner reports the family physician, Dr. Wyatt Lamont, um, who last Friday delivered the baby boy, was called and realizing the gravity of Healy's condition, administered a sedative and summoned in cons- a consult from Dr. John Ruddock, who was a heart specialist. At some point, they administered glucose and oxygen that was rushed over from a local hospital, but Healy's condition becomes even more desperate. At 3 a.m., he suffered the attack that would prove fatal. No one really knows what that attack is. He basically just seizes into like severe convulsions. So it's not considered a heart attack? No. Uh, So at 3 a.m. Tuesday, he lapses lapses into what the newspapers called a semi-coma, and he dies Tuesday, December 21st, 1937 at 11.30 a.m. Now, his manager, his wife, and his sister are present at the time of his death. Um, uh, The doctors are as well. They are fine with the the diagnosis of natural causes, by the way. Oh. The one person who is not fine with the the diagnosis, or not the diagnosis, but the conclusion, is his ex-wife, Betty. The first Betty. Betty Brown. foul play. She is the prime person raising suspicions about the death. Um, She is adamant that there's been a cover-up, that people are being protected, and that she was now being blacklisted for causing a stink. Like she's an actress as well. So she's saying that people are threatening her, that she'll never like she'll never work in this town again type shit because she's causing a stink and not keeping quiet, which is provoking anger from, you know, Hollywood people as well as um, Ted's family. Now, the official cause of death, by the way, is that he died of acute toxic nephritis, which is secondary to acute and chronic alcoholism. So basically... He's dying from the effects of uh, long-term alcoholism. Police close the investigation. Nothing comes of um, Betty's like attempts to find something, you know, find something out. Uh, Eddie Mannix arranges a benefit show for the family because Betty, obviously, she's like, you know, the mother to this fatherless son. She doesn't have any income. She has a ton of liabilities, including tons of hospital bills. While she was like hospitalized for stress after he died, her house is burglarized. So like she has like a rough patch here and Eddie Mannix raises money for her. She kind of claims that she doesn't really get it. (laughs) That's like her thing that she never got the money that he supposedly raised for her. But they couldn't really find much out about that. Now, the author of the Mannix book, Fleming, that I mentioned earlier, he says the coroner's cause of death was a fucking lie that was bought and paid for by MGM. Some of the evidence he points to have sort of been debunked. The main point being that after uh, Ted Healy dies, Mannix and Howard Strickling get Wallace Beery out of Hollywood. Um, According to the author, Beery and his family left on a hastily arranged month-long trip to Europe. They left for New York um, later the next day. Studio photographers record their departure, smiling and waving as MGM's biggest star left for a holiday vacation. 
While Beery is out of town, Mannix and Strictly mop up the incident at the Trocadero, like paying off the staff, um, most of whom, according to Fleming, were already on Strickling's payroll. And I think that was typical. These guys, the fixers, had everyone fucking in their pocket to call them if a star was in the club causing trouble or doing anything that would be uh, bad publicity. So they, he, this writer also claims that it is um, Mannix and Strickling who concoct the story that it was actually the three drunk college boys and not their biggest star, Wallace Beery, and the two other local yokos, whatever they, yokels, um, Broccoli and DeChico. So it's just another cover-up that protects one of MGM's biggest stars. So what was debunked from? That he was out out of town in Europe. He was actually right. filming a movie. So that was one of his bigger points of why it was suspicious that he got flown out of town the next day. Like he had a reason to be out of town. Yeah, but that actually wasn't true. I think the European trip may have happened, but it wasn't like the next day because he was filming a movie and there's evidence of that. So in the decades that followed, a lot of comedy stars will cite Healy as a mentor on their work and influence on their work, including um, Milton Berle, Bob Hope, Red Skelton, uh, so he is an influential um, person in the comedy world to those guys who then influenced other people as well. His son had like an obituary as well. He did go on to kind of be this really great guy because he grew up um, fatherless. He devoted a lot of his time during his life to being a role model to younger kids who were orphans or didn't have families. And he like he had no Hollywood life. Like he moved to Georgia at some point. But his death made the paper. Yeah, said. his death made the paper. Like there was a few obituaries I saw when I was looking for stuff on Ted. So he kind of had like a good life. Um, and then just a side note about Gloria Vanderbilt. Obviously, she goes on to marry Wyatt Cooper who and gives birth to Anderson Cooper. So just some interesting side notes about um, people. Pat DiCecco eventually dies of uh, cancer in 1978. When I was looking up things about him, I on his Wikipedia page, like I, I was looking up to see how he died. And when I did the search, it said, also known as the glamour boy of Hollywood. <laughs> I was just like, that's not very like tough. Wait, I'm having deja vu right now. I think you've said that in another episode. That someone was the glamour boy of Hollywood? About Pat DiCecco. Have we mentioned him in another story before? I don't think so. I mean, it's possible. I'm having major deja vu right now. Uh, Maybe. I mean, he's kind of one of those guys who might might have been in like a Lana Turner or... The glamour boy of Hollywood. Now, uh, Eddie Mannix dies in 1963 of a heart attack. But this, I thought, was really uh, interesting. Broccoli... (laughs) While in Japan in 1966, he's there scouting locations for the Bond feature, You Only Live Twice. Him and Saltzman, as well as a Bond production designer and cinematographer, made a last-minute cancellation of his ticket aboard BOAC, BOAC, Flight 911, in order to watch a ninja demonstration. That aircraft crashes, killing all aboard when the plane basically breaks apart due to uh, clear air turbulence over Mount Fuji. And just like he, all of those people, the Bond films never, like they would have ceased to be at that point. Like Holy shit. They all were supposed to be on this flight that basically fucking exploded in the sky. Oh my God. Yeah. He eventually dies, I think it was 1996, of 
heart failure at 87. But that was like a weird, I'm always like creeped out by a near miss flight. Like when people change their flights last minute. Yeah, it's awful. Like how do you recover? Right. Like that must be like such a weird feeling. Uh, So yeah, I was kind of reading about that flight because those those things creep me out. Yeah, same. When they just explode over air. <laughs> like, and what is the reason for that, too? That's so scary. Well, yeah. Basically, I was reading about it because I was trying to understand the science. And it was like, <laughs> you know me. And I had to read it like real intensely. Like My brow was real furrowed trying to ex- ex- understand it. But basically, it was like the turbulence is so strong, it almost creates a wave <gasps> over the mountain, like an air wave. So you're kind of like crashing into a wall of air almost. So it has to do with the mountain too. There's something with the mountains where it creates some kind of turbulence that's so extreme that they, the wind almost becomes like a brick wall that you, the plane just kind of, it like breaks the plane apart, basically. I hope they have like precautions to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> and there was something too with like, cause people saw the crash and there was like this white smoke because it was like the jet fuel then at that point. It was just like, it was an interesting story. And I think it was like one of the scariest first major crashes where everyone died. Uh, So it was a pretty big deal. There's actually a lot written about it. So there might've been some other like significance to the story. Um, But yeah, so that's, that's it. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Ted Healy. I think he got beaten and it got covered up. I mean, but it was confirmed that he had bruises on him, right? Like that he was looked like fucked up. Yeah, but I guess the speculation is, did that cause his death? Right. I think he was pretty unhealthy. Yeah. And then it got escalate. Sounds like it was a perfect storm of factors. Or right. maybe he got hit in the head a certain way and it made him die. Or maybe he fell. You know what it is? What sounds like... A, like the, Dr. House should investigate this case because Dr. House would be able to figure it out because this is exactly like what would happen to a patient of his where it's like a contributing like perfect storm of factors like right and when you got punched in the head and then it shows like the computer fucking simulation of like shit happening in his brain like when you got punched in the head it dislodged this and if you had yes, it's like a domino it effect or the fact that he was an alcoholic made right. Like he had some things that made him bleed faster or like there was, that's what I'm saying. It was like a domino effect. Yeah. But I definitely think that he got beaten up by these guys. Yeah. For sure. Especially if he like had a history of like running his mouth off at clubs and shit. And also these guys have a history of getting into altercations as well. Right. And I doubt like Broccoli's story is true. Healy sounds like the guy who he's the kind of drunk who's looking for a fight and he's not that tough. He's no. just got a loud mouth. Yeah. So the, we all he know that fucked guy. with the wrong people. Right. And they were also fucking fighters. So I think he fucked with the wrong people. That is such a, like, oh my God. I can't, I can't be around those people. The people who <laughs> oh, are he just, seems so annoying. Like, yeah. But I just Not mean, that he deserves to die, but. No, I just mean the people who, like, do not care about anyone else that they're around in like a situation and they're just like, I'm going to go cause a fucking scene right now. When was AA invented? 1939. Well, that's when the book came out. 1935 is when it was invented. Okay. Why? I'm just curious if that was an option for him. Not that he would have taken it. It was an option. Maybe that's how he was sober for six months. Who knows? Oh, right. Right. I get the feeling he was not part of a program. No. Because people were monitoring him. <laughs> it doesn't sound like he had a spiritual program in his life. I'm gonna no. I'm gonna take a guess. So he was white knuckling. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I bet you he was probably drinking and they didn't know. Yeah, he was like drinking vanilla extract. Yeah. 
<laughs> which is a classic move. My classic alcoholic friend move was um, putting bitters in so- so- soda water. Who did that? Uh, you don't your, know them. Oh, your friend did that. Yes. He would put like a drop of bitters in soda water. And then after like a few months, all of a sudden he was pouring like the whole thing yeah. of bitters yeah. into soda water. You, you can't drink bitters if you're an alcoholic in recovery. I know. I think he thought like one drop was okay. But yeah. then like a no. few months after that, it was like literally a whole bo- bottle of bitters. I was like, just fucking drink at this point. Like, yeah, that's sick. Like there's something have, wrong with you. You can't have one peanut if you have a peanut allergy. Right. It's it's, it's also principle. just kind of like, just drink. Right. Like, why are you drinking a jar because, of bitters? Desi, it's disgusting. I get what you're, I get what you're saying. <laughs> But I completely understand his logic. No, I get the logic just from a food perspective where you think you're doing something like I might as well just eat it all and start over tomorrow or like whatever. Right. But yeah, there was sort of like, no, you're not fooling any of us sort right. of like but whatever. He I know the loophole. He thought he thought he had the loophole, he but th- he did not have right. the loophole. No, but no. he tried. He tried. He it. tried. A good A for effort. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Bye. Bye.